Welcome to Miriosity, a podcast discussing Christianity for the merely curious. I'm Trevor Cook, and today I am joined by Andrew Bass and Noah Dellinger, two very good friends of mine who I will allow to introduce their own credentials. But first, I want to say a couple things about them that they have in common that uh, may not be related to theology, but I think are worth noting. First of all, they're both gifted musicians. <laughs> uh, in fact, they uh, make the two-piece set of Saint Serial that created the song we use for our intro and outro music. I love listening to it every Terrific. time. Uh, check them out on Spotify. I recommend it. <laughs> They're also both insightful teachers. They uh, have taught at many different levels, different ages, different institutions, different subjects. Uh, and both of them, I know them to be very patient and wise teachers. Uh, and also just they're great friends you know if it wasn't for one very uh fateful trip to scotland the three of us would not have the bond that we have today and i i for sure have uh gained a lot uh by being their friends and uh very happy to be able to speak to them here uh today about uh such an important subject but i'll i'll go ahead and leave it to you andrew to introduce yourself and talk about uh, a little bit of your background and then Noah, you can take it away and we'll We'll get back to what our subject is for today. Sure. Um, thanks, Trevor. I'm I'm used to Trevor doing all the legwork for me. I get my wonderful introduction every week. Um, but yes, I am uh, Andrew Bass. <laughs> I am a postulant, I guess now we'd say, in the Anglican Church of North America, um, hoping to be ordained in the diaconate in the next year or so, serve as a uh, director of student ministries, fancy Anglican word for youth leader. And uh, I love it. I do a little teaching on the side at a classical uh, Christian co-op. And uh, it's just a lot of fun. Love student ministry. Glad I get to do it all the time, every day. Oh, and I'm a seminary graduate. and <laughs> No longer a student. Made it through. So, <laughs> yeah. Recent. Recent, very recent, recent. graduate. <laughs> the master. Cool. <laughs> Noah, take it away. Well, I'm Noah Dellinger, um, the other member of St. Serial. That's my first credential. It's true. Um, let's see. I studied theology and biblical languages at Baylor for my undergrad, and then I went to Duke Divinity and completed my MDiv there uh, this past December. So finished up at the same time that Andrew finished up at Southeastern. Also in December, I came into the Catholic Church. I was previously ordained as a Baptist minister, which is kind of the tradition I grew up in. Um, so now I'm a Catholic. I work as a Old Testament preceptor and a tutor of Old Testament and writing at Duke Divinity School. And I'm also uh, a chaplain intern at the, Duke Divin at the Duke Hospital. So that's what I do. Cool. Thank you, Noah. Now, uh, today... We are taking a break from our ecumenical council series to discuss a very big and important topic of the conversion from Protestant uh, theology to uh, Catholic theology. And we have uh, a very interesting opportunity uh, to kind of hear uh, from personal stories, both on uh, Noah's side and Andrew's side, how to... Two people from a very similar background have come to different conclusions, uh, studied a lot of the same stuff, uh, went through a lot of the same uh, rigorous courses, even beginning in the same same school, same program, um, 
and coming from the same state, even uh, both representing North Carolina. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but how exactly uh, those, uh, you know, those similarities uh, were still able to lead to kind of different paths in the end uh, and about how, you know, our intellectual pursuit of theology uh, and impacts what our spiritual uh, path is and, and ways that our spiritual path just, you know, might continue uh, outside and beyond uh, what we read. Uh, so the, the reason why we think this is important uh, as Miriosity, because we are not a, you know, we're not looking to be biased or to be uh, apologists for any particular tradition. We're just here to inform people, uh, people who are curious about Christianity, people who want to learn just a little bit more about what it is they believe or something that they, you know, know others believe in and want to find out more about. Uh, and the reason why this sort of experience or like, you know, cross-denominational discussion is important to us is because, you know, there are a lot of many different views when it comes to these subjects of theology that we have discussed. And while getting to talk, uh, tackle the ecumenical councils leaves us with some of the like least, mm -hmm. you know, touchy subjects, uh, a lot of things that most uh, Christian denominations believe in today. Uh, there are also lots of things that, you know, do require a lot more debate between uh, cr Christian brothers and sisters. And so we find that it's most important to be aware of that and be aware of the difference between intellectual study and spiritual conversion and how exactly um, those two mesh uh, as theologians and as uh, followers of Christ. So with Without, you know, continuing to hog the mic too much, <laughs> I'll uh, go ahead and hand it to you, Andrew, because I know that there's a particular quote that you had that kind of sums up the the point that we want to to really tackle today. Yeah, thanks, Trevor. Um, <clears throat> there is, and it is a famous quote. A lot of our listeners has, have probably heard it before. Perhaps you've used it. I know I had in uh, previous days, but it is a famous John Henry Newman quote that is uh, to be deep in history is to cease to be Protestant. And the reason I bring that up, it's not because we're here to refute that or affirm it. I think in many ways, there is at least a kernel of truth in what Newman says there, or at least what we infer from that implication. Um, but this is specifically relevant today because we have done some discussions. We just talked with young Anglican recently about the trad movement, people converting, um, and a YouTuber specifically, and I'm talking well about him so I can name him, uh, but Gospel Simplicity, the guy that runs that, just released a video uh, with that quote and kind of talking about it. People asking him after years of doing a channel on the Father's Church History Theology, why he remains Protestant. And he used that as an opportunity to talk about his experience, but also just that wider idea that um, ultimately, to make a long story short, he was just unconvinced. Uh, he had done all of the research he was asked to do. You know, he got really into it. He even wanted it to be true. Um, read the fathers, read this and that, went through the councils. Um, and just as much as it helped and informed him, and I, I think, I don't want to speak for him, but probably bashed a lot of anti-Catholic, anti-Orthodox sensibilities that he probably had uh, before. I know that was my experience. Um, he just still remained unconvinced. And so that had me thinking that this would be a good time for us as, as a um, channel that tries to really 
present information in a way we you know we all bring biases to the table, but we're not apologists for a particular uh, denomination or tradition of Christianity, other than what we would consider the standard orthodox values of the of the Christian tradition. So I wanted to just talk about that a little bit more, um, the idea of conversion and maybe addressing the myth that if you just read enough books, then uh, you will see the light and you'll become an Orthodox Christian or a Catholic Christian or a Protestant, you know, varying denominations that in reality, in the actual uh, world, that's not people's experience. That's not generally how the conversion experience works. It's much more personal than that. It's much more experiential, for lack of a better term, than it is like, finally made it through the church fathers, and now I'm blank, because clearly, right? Um, so that that's what prompted uh, me suggesting this to these guys. And I thought uh, Noah would be a good guy to bring on for this. Yeah, just to kind of piggyback on that a little bit. If it was just a matter of you have to read up on your history, then all of this would just be a matter of compiling a data set and we could extract all of that data and put it in a big Google doc and send it out. To <laughs> what, <people>. And then <laughs> maybe that would be convincing. Christianity did um, um, Cameron Bertuzzi. That, yeah. Which, oh, really? I'm not making fun oh. of him. It was awesome, but that's just how his brain worked. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty funny. Yeah. I mean, we'll get it more into it, but I, I do think it's a good example of Andrew and I, like, I don't, I would not really claim to have read extensively where Andrew is not. And I don't think that, I mean, Andrew, we each have our own different focuses, but in terms of like some of the major points, both of us have kind of read a lot of that stuff and we still come on different sides of it. And so it's like, the question is what else is influencing and informing our decisions in terms of what church we end up in and have chosen And how do those relate to the more like rational or more reason centered arguments, which is kind of like the the argument about history. So I am really interested to hear more from you, Noah, about uh, kind of the the arguments and also kind of what was the, the searching process for you? Because I, I, uh, I think that there was a a good um, argument out there, uh, about how you know becoming a christian is is one thing right you know you you it doesn't uh like it doesn't just end at acknowledging the existence of god uh, there is this need Correct. to trust in christ right um but that there's you know this this combination of both that you have a a you know intellectual realization and then there is this point at which that becomes instead of just acknowledgement that you're really trusting in the tradition that you have now selected to follow uh, and to participate mm-hmm. in really. Um, so I, I'm interested to hear from you now, you know, like what, what did that journey look like? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a long one. Um, in many ways it started when I was a little kid I was raised in a Baptist church, but then my family went on what I call a denominational tour for like eight years. And before we ended up being Baptist, and by that time I was going to Baylor and ended up in a Baptist church. And that's where I was ordained and kind of um, 
really tried to solidify my identity as a Baptist for a while. But during that denominational tour, we went through a lot of various sectors of corners of Protestantism. And so that was like, I wouldn't have expressed it in this way, but that was one of my first experiences learning that Protestantism is not an institution. It's more of an idea or it's like a cluster or a cloud of ideas or a cluster of communities maybe. Um, And so that's not always something that is a bit like just readily like on our mind that Protestantism isn't an institution like Orthodoxy or Catholicism is. Um, it's a cloud of institutions. Um, <laughs> there, so, there was a moment in, in my is, high school uh, that I had a teacher ask that exact question. He was like, what, what does it mean to be a Protestant? You know, and, and everyone's just like, <laughs> that's fair. Like dumbfounded. Like here we all are taking classes in a church because we're a bunch of Christian homeschoolers. And nobody knows what being a Protestant <laughs> is, um, and that that yeah. I think that that uh, it really does kind of grab you when you start to realize kind of that that level of uh, an external view, I guess, of what our faith is that you, yeah. you don't have that from from the beginning. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think um, and then you skip forward, and Andrew and I are taking classes together, or separate classes at the same school, reading church fathers, reading the history, all that stuff. And, um, just getting this, this deeper sense of how strange Christians are through the, through, through, through history. (laughs) Um, that a lot of them like prayed to Mary for a while and like, um, all these different things that are strange about Christians throughout history. And there's, there's a narrative or a lens that you can have that allows you to kind of write that off really easily and just be like, Oh, well, they didn't know any better. They were superstitious or whatever, whatever, whatever. And God, by his grace, the Holy spirit, like has brought us to this moment where we now realize that we can read the Bible better than that. Um, that's one way of viewing it. And that's one way that I did view it. And one way I was raised to view it. Um, another way of viewing it is just not being aware of any of this stuff and just thinking that the version of Christianity that you have is what has always been. And that's kind of where we're getting into John Henry Newman's quote of like realizing part of studying Christian history is, is defamiliarizing yourself with what Christianity is so that you can kind of emerge with a new understanding later of what it actually might be. And, uh, so anyways, as I'm encountering all these strange aspects of Christian history and theology and some strange origins of our theology and um, whatnot, not sketchy origins, but just genuinely strange that I would not have come up with (laughs) if I was told to guess how this arose or whatnot, um, as y'all are going through in the councils and whatnot. The question that, that eventually came up, which was one of, my responsibility as a Protestant Christian was what am I protesting against? And so that required me to take an inventory of what I was protesting against. Um, And so in one hand, I have the question as a Protestant, what am I protesting against? And kind of parallel with this journey was me as a Baptist becoming more familiar with and believing more of like a sacramental view of the Eucharist of baptism and all these more traditional Christian elements and trying to kind of 
usher those more traditional elements into the Baptist church, the tradition that I was in and felt called to. And so as I'm looking at all these more traditional elements that my tradition has historically rejected, I was also realizing, recognizing, um, sometimes ignoring, but still always recognizing that the question was there for me to answer, which is, what am I protesting against? Um, and that is, those two trajectories really col- like hit one another, collided. When we got to the point where I'm a Baptist who believes in something, some kind of Eucharistic theology akin to transubstantiation, and the question on this other side is, well, what are you protesting against? And so that's the gist. We can get into more detail, but that's how I would broadly narrate it. Uh, cool. Uh, so, <laughs> I, <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, I think the first part, right, the deconstruction of like what your tradition is, is a, a clear way to begin. Um, but I do like uh, kind of the way you frame it as being, you know, forgetting what you know about Christianity in order to learn what Christianity is, because there is mm-hmm. this, you know, expectation that like what you have grown up in is what Christianity mm-hmm. is and has always been. Um, and I think yeah. the same way that, you know, people, you know, view like America as being the America that they, they grew up in. Yeah. You know, when things change, yeah. it's like this isn't this isn't my America. You know, it, it's the same sort of life that you have this like, you know, t- this tie to to what you, um, what, what's familiar. Um, and I, I think it's interesting yeah. that like history made you feel less familiar with what it meant to be a Christian. Um, and so, I, yeah, I, you know, I would. Oh yeah. I would encourage you, I think a practical way for anyone to practice this is if you listen to worship music throughout the week, um, find the playlist of Eastern Orthodox chant or Syrian Orthodox chant, something maybe even like Christian chant in Arabic. And during your worship time, approach it with the same spirit that you would if you're listening to whatever you've listened to um, and listen to that <laughs> and, 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 and pay attention to like how you feel when you listen to it and pay attention to the images of God or images of Christ or whatever that, that come up in your mind. And you might scare, you might scare yourself because it's just strange. And it's, and even it's, it's even carried into the music, um, to the, the scales and the sound of the language. Um, and that's not even necessarily, that's history, but it's also just people who right now are singing those songs across the world. Yeah, def- definitely busting out of the the mm-hmm. bubble, you know, <laughs> you know, getting yeah. a better experience. Uh, kind of like the global idea of Christianity too. That sounds good. Yeah, Andrew, do you have anything to say on this? Like, you know, yeah, I'll try and share briefly my experience. So, yeah, Noah and I had a very similar upbringing. I'd say I was I was raised Reformed Baptist. Uh, we went to Southern Baptist churches, so we weren't in the Reformed Baptist denomination. We weren't we weren't that into it. But we, my family would have identified in that way um, and, uh, you know, spent some of my childhood in a mega church. And then when we moved up North Carolina, attended a more traditional Southern Baptist church, started reading 
all the reform stuff, right? And my, my biggest concern at that time towards the end of high school was whether I didn't wind up a Presbyterian uh, or not, which is every Reformed Baptist uh, secret dream that they have is one day they'll work up the courage to baptize babies. But um, <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I, I was, I was the, <laughs> the five point um, cage stage college student uh, trying to bring all my friends with me. And uh, that was my experience for a while. Uh, my first exposure to ancient liturgy was freshman year. Uh, so no one I, as listeners may have gathered, we studied theology at Baylor together. Um, so we've been doing this for what, six, seven years now. <laughs> we've been um, just, um, being nerds yep. for too long and, uh, went to an Orthodox <laughs> liturgy and Greek Orthodox. And it was st- astounding. Uh, my roommate and I, we, uh, it, it kind of freaked us out. We're like, Oh no, where has this been kept from us? Are we in the wrong church? Like this, that was kind of the first time we experienced that ecclesial anxiety. Um, didn't last long. Orthodoxy is a big commitment. And uh, that was kind of my short <laughs> dance with it. Um, but I was mesmerized. And at the same time, I was taking these church history classes, learning about the councils, reading the church fathers, and uh, starting to think like, wow, there is a lot more than what I thought. Um, sophomore year, as Trevor mentioned, we got to spend a semester in St. Andrews. Um, I was exposed to Anglicanism, Anglo-Catholicism, obviously Roman Catholicism. We all took a class on iconography, uh, which is a, you know, mortal sin in the reformed, uh, world. And, uh, I was for the first time, very unconvinced by John Calvin's argument against icons, uh, and very convinced by the seventh ecumenical council's defense of them. And, uh, so that was not good. I left, um, I left sophomore year of college, came back to America. Calvinism still intact. Uh, we we yeah. did visit the Vatican during yeah, that time. Yeah, bought too, my which you might first crucifix, actually. Yeah. That's where uh, yeah. I got this guy. So uh-huh. there were, <laughs> I, I wasn't even the one yeah. who bought a crucifix. I wasn't the one who bought the yeah. crucifix at St. So, Peter's. As you can see, I still had, a, I think what I would say most is I had a lot of questions and I was no longer an anti-Catholic. I, I um, had come to understand the way what Catholics believe, the way they believe it, and how it's defended, how they defend it in Scripture. And even though I wasn't necessarily convinced, I was very intrigued. Um, and it was the first time I really started listening and, and trying to be open-minded. Um, junior, senior year went by. Kind of more of that continued. By my senior year, I was seriously considering Anglicanism um, alongside Catholicism for a multitude of reasons. One, I won't ignore it. I've said it many of times. It's an easier jump if you're an evangelical uh, to become Anglican. It just is. And in, in um, Texas, where we were, there's the Diocese of Fort Worth, which is higher church than the Novus Ordo. And so you can actually like experience, unless you go to a Latin Mass, I suppose, um, the experience as an Anglican in Texas is largely more high church than the experience that many Catholics have. And so it's a very, um, if liturgy is the reason that you're wanting to like leave evangelicalism, um, then Texas, the, the, the Texas Anglicans provide you with a very easy way to just do that one day uh, without really any big. So um, I dip my toes in that. Um and I converted to the Anglican Church, if you can call it a conversion. 
uh, after my first year of seminary. Still graduated, as you know, from Southeastern, switched out of the MDiv into an MA, uh, wrote a thesis, loved it, loved the professors. They liked having a token Anglican there. Um, and I think <laughs> a, a lot of my experience, mm-hmm. I, I did go through a lot of changes and there were things that I did become convinced of. Um, I became convinced of apostolic succession. I became convinced of the episcopate. Um, I became convinced of the authority of councils, um, both like the big authority of general councils and the little authority of local in, uh, councils. And so that inter- that changed the way that I interpreted scripture. Uh, that changed the way that I approached scripture and ultimately led me to become Anglican. And I think to just tie a ribbon on it here, um, what prevented me from becoming Catholic was not a lack of desire. I, I really wanted to. And, um, you know, so anything can happen. And I guess that's always a possibility. I'm sure Noah would love that. <laughs> that possibility is wide open. Um, but my experience reading the fathers and just seeing the history of the first millennium of the undivided church um, really kind of convinced me in the opposite direction. I uh, I found Protestant soteriology to really fill the holes where the undivided church failed um, and the universality of the gospel, the availability of it, um, and certain things like that, that again, I saw reflected in the writings of the fathers. Um, and even though we see these arguments that I read about, you know, no salvation outside of the church, this and that idea, um, by the time that really started getting big, again, in my studies, there were multiple people saying that uh, from different groups. And so for me, that idea of Protestantism, while I do believe free church uh, and Presbyterians should, um, I, I don't want to say repent, but they, they, should jo- they should join Episcopal churches. <laughs> while I do believe that, um, I would not say I have a hardline Anglo-Catholic theology where the Anglican church is the Western expression of the one, you know, the Catholic faith. I don't believe that. Um, and so I think I'd still reluctantly have to say I'm convinced by Protestantism. And I just came to believe that it is an idea that was timely because it was necessary in the 16th century to fill holes and gaps that had been filled by multiple failing institutions. Let me uh, just add in there that <laughs> Andrew Bass was convinced of all those things we talked about, apostolic concession, succession and councils and stuff. He was convinced of those things before <laughs> yeah. I was convinced of those things. <laughs> and he was the one who invited me to the first Catholic mass I ever fully. Yeah, I, I was I was fully <laughs> intending to convert. I, I was very ready. And uh, I still love Catholics. I, I'm, I'm the number one fan uh, of, of Roman Catholics, man. <laughs> I am. Yeah. I'd say um, to kind of maybe push a little, focus a little more on this, this question of like history, mm. how we approach history. Is it, do we purely approach the topic of history and how history impinges on the present? Do we just approach that with reason or do we approach that with other aspects of ourselves? Um, like what you're saying where you, you, you arrived here and you realize you were still Protestant. Mm-hmm. I arrived here and realized that the question of what am I protesting against kind of, crumbled is um i mean there are issues of like the papacy and how we view the reformation i mean we would both admit that 
the church needed reforming in the Reformation. I don't know if anybody would disagree with that. Um, well, maybe, I mean, there's always crazy people, but <laughs> the church, the church was mm-hmm. recognizes that it needed to be reformed. Um, the question of what needed to be reformed. Um, so those issues like stands towards the reformation stands towards the Pope stands towards Mary stands towards the authority of the church. Um, Andrew and I approach both of these questions and we diverge on them. For, for different reasons, I think. I mean, for one of them, for me with the Pope was, there are, I can give you reasons, uh, like logical reasons why I believe it. I don't think I'm the person to like, turn this into a tangent of me defending the papacy. But like, that that is certainly an aspect of like, how I came to like, believe in the papacy as the church, as the Catholic Church teaches it. But it was within the larger like, umbrella of, my personal encounter with Jesus Christ through the Catholic Church, which is not a, who is not a different Christ than the church, than the Christ I've grown up with, who is my Savior and has always been my Savior. Um, but it's that personal encounter of Christ through the Catholic Church is the larger umbrella of my conversion. And so my reason and my study is within that. And so like something like the papacy is also under another umbrella of like a growing trust in the Holy spirit to preserve Christ's body, to preserve the church throughout history. And one of the mechanisms of that is through the papacy. And, um, I think there are good reasons to believe that. I think Andrew could, Andrew would also approach that and say like, that sounds terrific. I know that Andrew would love to believe that the Holy spirit is preserving the, the church through the infallible office of the Pope. But um, there are reasons why Andrew might pinpoint throughout history and say, well, maybe that's a revisionist revisionist interpretation of what's going on here. Um, So I just wanted to kind of preface all of that, like for myself and for Andrew, like we're not sitting here at, at our desks and just scribbling like through documents. We're also going to church and worshiping with people. And we're also praying and we're also going out and trying to be like Christ in the world. Um, and we're also, you know, sinful and failing. But just to say, like, there's a whole matrix of Christian life that this study, which leads to conversion or leads to some kind of tradition change. Um, so, yeah. Thanks. It's also it's noteworthy that both of you, you know, your stories did not begin a few months ago or did not begin when you started no. graduate school. It, it's like the entirety of your no. life has been leading up to kind of where you are. It, even you both play a part in each other's kind of journey with this. Um, and it, it's, I, I think that that is the clearest form that like, this isn't a, you know, read it till you get it mm-hmm. sort of <laughs> transition. Um, and I appreciate yeah. both of you sharing your stories too. Uh, Cause I know that's a lot. I, I grew up in in in, uh, in some churches where my my parents would disagree with the theology and the approach of the leaders in those churches were well you'll just come around and um, I don't think that's a Christ like witness of uh, that's not how Christ teaches us you know when we don't understand something we don't understand something about his grace he doesn't say well you'll come around 
that's no, he meets us where he's, where we're at and he guides us like a shepherd. So, um, I would never want to, I, I believe and I'm convicted about the Catholic church, but I would never look at either of y'all or anybody, um, and say, Oh, you'll come around. <laughs> so, the Holy spirit's going to do what the Holy spirit's going to do in your heart. And, um, that's important. Yeah. I'm just thankful you didn't become Anglican, <laughs> Noah, because then I'd be the only one who's yeah. not Anglican from our, our original. Scotland we need, group. we need, a, we need a Catholic <laughs> on the podcast. So now you're our token. Noah. <laughs> yeah, I'm the token. I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to start charging you all for this. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I think that this has been really good, um, kind of getting to go into both of y'all's background. Um, and kind of sharing your faith journey and stuff and i you know i didn't want to like distract from it with my my own because i have a very different upbringing from y'all's having like you know i my parents made sure i was confirmed in the lutheran church and uh the missouri Synod. Um, so that's <laughs> kind of like my background leading into baylor and then <laughs> since then i've attended acts 29 so i've like i got i got some high church on the beginning and then moved into some more low church later on in life so very very different mm. transition but uh, <laughs> I, i'm interested in getting more into kind of like the impact in society today and kind of how you both see it from your perspectives now because we have a internet marketplace of ideas where more and more people are debating and discussing you know catholic not catholic mm. you know protestant not protestant baptist not baptist and oh man the number of predestination <laughs> conversations that, that everyone has at, at some point or another um and like what 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 are you know some of the good things that you think come out of this you know new age where we're able to have these discussions at such uh varying levels of education and varying levels of um like care and, and ministry um or what are the you know kind of good products out of that what are the bad products <laughs> who wants to take that first noah you or me you got you got, okay. you got it andrew so i think um i i love it in one sense the age of internet apologetics right we'd call it but basically this buffet of um any type of theology you want. And in a lot of ways, it's an excellent gift and blessing. I mean, that was the beauty of me and, and thousands, if not uh, millions of others, right? You, whether you grew up uh, Catholic or Orthodox or evangelical, now it's kind of the heydays of even the trad movement and evangelicals becoming uh, high church and whatever that looks like. And you start questioning these things. You go on um, like newadvent.com or like, you know, church fathers, and you get to read all these quotes, just, printed right there for you and then you just get to watch you know and so you'll get yeah. hooked on council of trend or matt frad's podcast or catholic answers um all generally like i would uh, especially if you're a catholic like good stuff right love matt frad love the things that he does scott Hahn, the man he'll convert anyone to catholicism um but then there's like and the downside of it and i'll give a shout out to gavin ortland right the goat protestant apologist but um the, and there are these great resources these intellectually honest people these scholars um, again, not always that a PhD is, is necessary to talk theology, but those credentials are, are helpful um, in discerning who is giving you hogwash and who is um, giving you scholarship. And um, 
then that, but then there's the bad side of it. Then there's guys and there's no need to name them. Um, and they know who they are. Like the, the bad faith actors that, um, either intentionally mislead listeners to, um, try and prove their tradition to be true or just unintentionally by, um, their own ignorance, say, make assumptions or say things, um, and really work on their rhetoric more than their research in presenting arguments. And that's dangerous because that, um, motivates people with misinformation to come to conclusions that they may not have come to. Um, and it doesn't help conversations if there are people walking around with just wrong information uh, that they are, are convinced is right because an authority on the internet told them that it is. And um, mm-hmm. so I think um, that's, that's a danger of it. it for all the blessings that it has. It does come with a few, a few curses and um, it just, it's necessary to be careful when, when going there. And, and again, that's what inspired this, right? Cause like, I do firmly believe like obviously study church history, study theology, but when you, if you have someone telling you 100%, like the only reason you're not X um, is because you're dumb. <laughs> you haven't read enough. You, you just don't. And every time it's like, Oh, you're just, you just need to read more books. Like you simple minded, like just come on, put in the work and then you'll clearly see how everything I say is right. Um, don't watch those guys. Yeah. I mean, that's not even how the interpretation of scripture works, you know, like scripture is not interpreted by the most intelligent person because scripture wasn't written by the most intelligent people. I mean, there's a there's a great essay by Kierkegaard on the difference between a genius and an apostle. Um, obviously, uh, I mean, I think they were the writers in, of the scriptures in one sense were brilliant, but in another sense, like they weren't the precipice of like human intellect. And the way that we interpret them is not by looking to the Albert Einsteins of the world. We we interpret them by living them together over the period of a lifetime and praying them. And so I think like one of the dangers of the kind of internet forum of theology is that it can so easily obscure that tried and true maxim of the theologian is the one who prays. Um, When we watch somebody like Gavin Orland, it's easy to forget. It's easy because we don't get to see the hours of prayer that certainly Gavin Orland spends in prayer you know um we see the product the interpretive product that has been informed somewhat by that prayer and uh we can approach the texts we can approach just like we can approach scripture we can also approach these theological texts in this kind of like pigeonized reductionistic way kind of like we deal with junk food or something or like you switch from like a buzzfeed article to reading an art to reading like john chrysostom a new advent and it's like we forget the weight of these texts and the fact the historical fact that most of these texts have when people have read them and encountered them it's been in prayer um and not just been in on our phone switching between documents very fastly i think like the one of the dangers is just a danger of our generation in general is just the pace. Um, how a lot of this 
media can still, even if it's Christian media, even if it's church fathers, can still just become part of the noise if we're not handling it respectfully with um, a profound sense of the gravity of what we're trying to um, accomplish in searching the truth. So, um, but at the same time, it's amazing to have access. It's amazing that we live in a world in which um, people who study this stuff are aware of misunderstandings that have been keeping divisions in the church alive for hundreds of years. And that that's awesome. That's really cool. So. Absolutely. Well put. I I think you made a very good point about kind of the, the real crux of this conversation is, you know, what, what do you get from the reading, like from the study and from these, you know, this newfound wealth of knowledge just at our fingertips because it's it's you know even beyond the online discourse that we get to kind of partake in whether it's you know good and scholarly or you know bad and kind of you know just fill uh, fueled by rhetoric and you know more more uh, impassioned uh, speech than you know enlightened um how often like we can kind of like lose sight of the the meaning behind these words originally there there was a uh, a great opportunity we had back at Baylor uh, to uh, actually touch an Ashkenazi uh, Torah scroll that had been preserved from World War II. It had been uh, hidden, and kind of since then, it was it was no longer of use uh, in synagogues. Uh, so it was available for us to uh, actually hold and feel the calfskin leather and see the words that had been you know carefully you know transcribed memorized counted over and Mm -hmm. over and over again uh for hundreds of years uh something older than even our own country um and then get to you know be there and like realize the weight of the text that we sometimes just you know google genesis chapter 2 verse 7 (laughs) and get that (laughs) answer on our phone um and and, uh i think that that's such a stark that you're you're right though because when it when it was the letter that was sent by paul you know and it was getting read to the crowd and the difference that that impact had versus when we, you know, hear it out of context or see it like emblazoned on a picture of a sunset, you know, <laughs> like on Facebook, it, it's, it is a very, <laughs> it, it's, a, it's important to kind of see like, the, it's not about, you know, the, the reading has to be taken seriously too. It's not just being the most learned, well-versed, but to recognize the context of not just your lifetime and your, you know, journey uh, with Christ, but also the, you know, the entirety of history in relationship to these ideas that you are just now learning, are just now encountering or considering, or, you know, for the first time ever, you know, asking yourself those questions about what is it I am protesting? You know, can I really accept 
you know, this new, this doctrine that, you know, I've never, never once been taught, you know, like that, that is a, a new venture that um, I think both mm -hmm. of you have in your own ways, you know, gotten to partake in and, you know, now kind of share in the on the ongoing uh, creation of this literature now through this podcast, even uh, sharing yeah. kind of the, this, this impact. Um, and it, it is something that I hope that, you know, whether somebody's listening to this is, you know, while they're on their drive into work or something, you know, <laughs> that, that the, uh, the importance of what, you know, your life story is to, to you, you know, isn't lost uh, in that moment and the convenience that we have for this information today. One of the things that I appreciate about Catholic preaching, which we don't hear that a lot, a good thing about Catholic preaching is, um, you know, there's, there's this pretty much every day in the year is dedicated to some saint. Um, sometimes it's doubled up. And um, if you go to like daily mass, a lot of times the homilies will be, will include or focus on the life of that saint and what they did with their life. And that, the life of that saint for that particular day is paired with the gospel reading and the other scriptural readings. And so the sermon, if it's like giving an interpretation of those passages, the sermon is putting up the life of that saint as a way to interpret scripture. And it's a fundamental point that the, the most profound interpretations of scripture that we have are the lives of the saints. Of the, are the cruciform lives of the saints. And so not only do commentary, the commentaries of St. Augustine help us greatly in understanding the meaning of scripture, but also maybe even more so if we knew even more about his life, the life of St. Augustine helps us interpret scripture. And that's something that we can lose the more that we kind of um, technologize or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, this this study of scripture, which also flows into the study of theology, and and I'm sure that there are there are Anglican churches that have that approach to the lives of the saints. But I think it's it's not just a cool thing about preaching; it's actually a fundamental disposition towards reality and how to see things. Is that these lives help us to see these texts, which are actually mm -hmm. God speaking to us. So not only is it God speaking to us through scripture. It's God speaking to us through scripture and also interpreting it for us through the lives of his saints. Um, and we probably all know a saint in our own life in some informal sense who has helped through their life interpret scripture for us to teach us what it means uh, for God to love us um, and for us to love one another. So um, I don't exactly remember how that connected what you said, but I, I hope that it connected somehow. <laughs> No, I definitely did know that I do appreciate it. <laughs> and I always love hearing about some uh, Catholic preaching that <laughs> bring, oh, great. <laughs> bring, bring in, bring in the good saints home. Uh, Andrew, yeah. do you, do you have anything else you wanted to add? Otherwise I, I feel like we could probably close out. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think I have much. <clears throat> now I, I will say again, just to revisit um, our purpose for talking about this is um not just to highlight 
uh, different paths when you go and study theology or not just to talk about good scholarship or, or promote our podcast as good and other people as bad, but really just going back. But do rate us yeah, five Yeah, please, stars. please give us a good rating. <laughs> um, but just to kind of address like, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not much of a sociologist, um, <laughs> or, or an anthropologist, but, um, to kind of just enter, um, into this sphere and talk about what internet apologetics is doing and just to encourage our listeners um, who are curious, maybe you've been studying Christianity for a long time. Maybe you're new to this. Um, Maybe you are um, intrigued by Catholicism or Orthodoxy or Protestantism. Maybe that excites you. Maybe that scares you. Um, And just kind of uh, emanating what Noah is saying, strive to be a saint love God, um, love people. And I just promise you, uh, you will eventually hopefully find solace in whatever tradition it is. That's, um, intriguing you, but, uh, don't go in with the mindset that if I just, once I've finished reading the, this or that, then I'll know for sure. Uh, you won't, and that will drive you absolutely mad, uh, trying to do it. <laughs> yeah. And I'll, I'll add on to that too. Um, I think one of the beauties of even being able to have this talk is I deeply respect and love Andrew. I deeply respect and love Trevor. But in, in terms of like Andrew and I, if we're representing these two different paths, we have an ongoing friendship and even Christian brotherhood, even though we land on two sides of a very important, like it's a very important issue. We cannot take communion together which is sad and and probably one of the greatest sorrows that we could lament other than, you know, the loss of salvation or something. Um, so there is a deep sadness there. And so the fact that we can, as Christians, with the Holy Spirit, as temples of the Holy Spirit, embody friendships, which not only can hold deep sorrow in themselves, but also deep respect and love is a very, very important witness. If we can't be unified and take communion together right now, then maybe that's the second best thing that we can do. So, Well, Noah, thank you so much for coming on here and sharing your, uh, sharing your story. And thank you, Andrew, again, for showing up as usual. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> very punctual. Uh, and uh, I hope... Next, up, next time you have me on, I'll give you my five There we go. There it is. <laughs> oh, okay. Now we're, now we're talking. My the microwave tank. <laughs> Just pop that in the microwave. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to that episode now. Uh, and if you are too, please, uh, first of all, thanks for listening. But please rate our podcast. Give us five stars on whatever platform you listen on. And uh, join us next time. This episode featured Andrew Bass and Noah Dellinger. And the podcast is produced by Mariosti with music by St. Serial. <laughs>